When you say hello, do you do Lionel Richie hello, hello or Adele hello? Lionel Richie, yeah, always. Good, good. The OG. <laughs> Is it me you're looking for? I can see it in your eyes. Keep going. Um, I can see it in your smile. What's your go-to karaoke song? Um, Islands in the Stream. Oh, of course. You know that. Yes, it's I the only one I ever do because it, you get to do it with somebody else. So you're never up there alone. Are you always Dolly? Always. Although I prefer Kenny these days. My, my range has dropped. <laughs> you do something to me that I can't explain. I remember when you sang that with Kenny Rogers. Oh, my God. Oh. R.I.P. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. What a way to start Kenny. bang on. On. Hello, Zan. Hello, Miff. How you going? Pretty good. Pretty good, thanks. Good, thanks. Yeah, good. Yeah, <laughs> good yeah, nah, good, thanks. Good, thanks. <laughs> another week of music, art, life and stuff. Mm. Another turn around the sun. Another January 26th, which just passed. Oh, yeah. Oh, January 26th. Feels so heavy, doesn't it? And I'm, I'm not Indigenous and so therefore I'm in a position of luxury it doesn't personally affect me, but it personally affects me in the way that I think about how Australia needs to move forward and to, we need to get better at this because every single year, it seems like we're having exactly the same conversations mm. about January 26th. Things aren't really moving forward. We had a couple of words changed in the in the national anthem, but that's not enough. There's a lot of calls to change the date. There's a lot of calls to abolish the date because of, it's, it's insensitive to our nation's first peoples. We know that. Most people know that. It was the day, well, it wasn't actually the day that Captain Cook discovered Australia. It was the day they landed in Sydney. So it's not even an Australian thing. It's only been given a holiday since the 1990s. Early 90s, yeah. And I think um, for me personally, I just feel like it's, we need to move on this in a way that, say Triple J did. They changed the date after consulting the listeners and deciding what to do. And it's, it's, it's as simple as that, I think. We're all adults and we're all brought up to, to go, if something's really hurting someone, let's let's work out how to how to fix it rather than just keep on debating the same old stuff every single year. And we talk about that as a day and the day that's just passed, but something that resonated with me a lot, um, seeing uh, Indigenous friends and, and people that I know who I follow on social media, there was... Uh, a lot of discussion about how the whole of January is just this this tension, this lead up. Mm. It's kind of this this whole um, this 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 deep gash as you're yeah. working towards this day of intense trauma, and that just colours everything in that month. Um, again, something that I don't feel as a white Australian. We think about this a lot in the few days before, and obviously on the day and the day after. We think about it through the year, but not to the extent that Indigenous Australians feel it intensely and. That really stuck with me as well this year, just sort of seeing that and understanding, trying to sympathise. I can never empathise, mm. but trying to sympathise with that feeling. And when we were talking about what we were going to talk about today, um, before we pressed record, I was saying to you, I just, I, I feel as though when we talk about this, you and I and with our Bang Fam our community understands all of these reasons, so it's kind of like a broken record yeah. that we're preaching to the converted. So what else is there to say? And then you pointed me to this great short opinion piece that James Blackwell, a Wiradjuri man and also a research fellow in Indigenous policy mm. um, at the University of New South Wales, 
wrote. Yeah. And he wrote this and was published on January the 27th, the day after. And that spe- spoke very much to that feeling of stagnation, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's called On Invasion Day, I Chose Silence. Today, I Must Relive Our Trauma. So on January 26, he wanted to publish a piece with no words whatsoever mm. because he's of the belief, and I think many other people are too, Indigenous folk, are too, that, that they're expected to talk about their trauma every single year. And relive they're, it. And relive it, but also just to be spokespeople for something that ends up putting them in a position where they get, they have to hear again and again comments from people who are sometimes white supremacists saying the most horrible stuff to them on social media. And in a way they get it he's suggesting that it's it's performative trauma like we're, we're expected to perform our trauma for you and then we have to relive it and then we have to cop what comes with it and it's cruel it's, it it just doesn't seem what this country's about anymore one of the things that he points out not just for people who are trolls online who are being you know racist bigots um and and attacking people of color indigenous first nations australians is that, yeah, as you say, he says, I want you to understand that for us this is painful. It's an endless annual ritual bearing witness to our pain and having so many Australians effectively reply with a very impolite, no, thank you. Mm. It's that. It's all that middle ground as well yeah. of Australians just kind of going, oh, yep, okay, we hear you, but also um, we're just going to keep going. Yeah. I can't imagine the frustration of yeah. that. We need to just step on it now. It's time to change. And I feel like things are changing a little bit out there in the community. I I remember doing the Hottest 100 way back in 2000, I think, or even 2001. And even back then, I called it Invasion Day. I said, it's Australia Day. Some people call it Invasion Day. So this is not a new woke concept. It's just something that broader Australia is starting to understand. I mean, Australia Day has been a national day of mourning for Indigenous folks since the 1930s. Mm. So... It's time we stepped up, I think. Enough of this, tell me why. It's, it's just time we stepped up. We know up. why. We know why. It is interesting to see a whole bunch of different um, industry and organisations shift, though. There is obviously a different take in terms of the leadership, the current leadership in Australia about where Australia Day sits. I don't see that changing anytime soon with mm. the current government. But you see organisations like Cricket Australia uh, who have been stopping calling their January 26th matches Australia Day games, I think for the last couple of years, not just this year, much to this dislike of Prime Minister Scott Morrison, but they're trying to reflect that inclusive culture that they want to create. And say what you will about the cricket and cricket fans, there's obviously flaws within that industry, (laughs) um, within those organisations, but... The needle is shifting mm. into a direction of not necessarily changing or abolishing the date, but a greater understanding of what it means to celebrate, yeah. to call this a day of celebration. I, I want uh, a day. And what that means to a huge portion I of our community. I want a day community. where everyone feels good. Yeah. You know, not some of us. That's not fair. We can do better and this is not the Australia that I want to celebrate at the moment because it's divided. What Australians do you want to be celebrated? Because yeah. the oh. other things that's been discussed. <laughs> the Australia Day Awards. Man. The, if you got one, right, an OM, an AM or whatever, would you accept it? Well, I think it honestly depends on where things were at because Kerry O'Brien has turned down his, mm. which one, OM, AM, OAM, OC, AC. I don't know what they mean. AC's air conditioning in my book. 
So, but that's apparently the highest order you can you can get. And Kerry, uh, he very. I actually saw him on the. Um, I believe it was on January 26th on NITV on their breakfast show. He was talking about articulating why he turned it down and talking about um, respecting free speech. And he was referring to Margaret Court, um, but also understanding that when someone actively uses their free speech to um, demonise sections of the community that that is wrong and Mm. that Margaret Court being recognised with the highest honour in the land was wrong. And that's why he was rejecting um, his honour as well. But there's a great article, it was actually in the lead-up to the Order Mm. of Australia, the Australia Day Honours, which are doled out every year, not just on January 26th but also on the Queen's birthday. And there was a big feature in The Good Weekend over the weekend um, by Jacqueline Maley and Nigel Gladstone about what was titled Want an Order of Australia? It Helps to Be Rich, Powerful and Male. That's pretty much how the world has been. You want to be (laughs) successful in this world. (laughs) And the numbers were terrible and they have been for forever, uh, 70, 30 more recently. Um, I think this year they got 60, around 60-odd percent with 40, 41% f- Female, women yeah. w- winning awards. Um, but, yeah, in, in the past it's been absolutely shocking. So they are taking steps to improve the situation but, again, it's too slow. And it pulls apart the people who are deciding this. Interestingly, mm. one of the things I didn't realise is that the person who overhauled this whole honour system was Gough Whitlam who basically said, look, it doesn't reflect Australian society to have knighthoods and, and damehoods, mm. whatever they're called, Um and he actually wanted to shift the process away from politicians being involved, but that's just crept back. So you've got all these politicians and so-called captains of industry um, who are not only lobbying to nominate for the awards, but obviously then more, more likely to get these awards. And I think that a few people have come out and said publicly that, you know, it should be flipped that the people who are working within the community who really have no political or financial clout, they're the ones who are probably the most deserving of the highest honours, not the other way around. Um, In general as well, according to this article, women have been given the lower awards overall between around 1975 and and 2016. And one of the points that's made is that there have been um, applications to get former West Australian Premier Carmen Lawrence anti-nuclear campaigner and Nobel Peace Prize nominee Helen Caldicott, who's got 21 honorary degrees and her nomination for an Order of Australia in 2020 was rejected. And Helen Reddy, who has been unsuccessful now, obviously the late Helen Reddy. And let's um, go through the, the blokes in music yeah, who've no, got the You've awards. got Normie Rowe, you've got Ronnie Burns, Glenn Shorrock, John Farnham, Angry Anderson, Slim Dusty, Brian Cadd, Smokey Dawson, Athel Guy... John Williamson, the Gibb brothers, basically all men of a certain age. Yeah, and not Helen Uh. Reedy. And none of them are feminist icons. So the people that are deciding this, the council that decides it, there's not one person under 30. There's not one Indigenous Australian on that council and hasn't been since 2013 when Tony Abbott was Prime Minister. That's shocking. Yeah, that's... How is that representative of the... Well, it's not. It's not. And that's why the awards have become a bit of a joke, to be honest, especially with the latest Margaret Court award. And that was... They've come out saying it was to um, address the imbalance in that... um, Rod Laver. Rod Laver had had the highest award, so we should have a, a, a woman in that position. But, like, have a look at the woman you're elevating. She's an incredibly divisive person. She has... She compared homosexuality with Hitler and the devil... 
she's opposed, outwardly opposed same-sex marriage, which is now an okay thing here in this country and a majority have decided. So who's elevating these people and why? I think we need to look at that. But also let's just change it. Let's sort it out. It's like Australia Day. It's time to sort this stuff out. Mm. It's time to make it, make this place a better and, and fairer place for all. Governor-General David Hurley speaks out in this piece as well, which is pretty interesting. This is someone who is not normally going to speak out of turn, but the fact that he's gone on the mm. record and said that there, you know, there are problems suggests that he's trying to change it from within, which gives me hope. Yeah. And you know what? I think that like we, you sort of said then, you know, they've become a bit of a joke, but much like the Arias or the Logies, <laughs> they're all we've got. And these yeah. things, when I was watching... Good point. You know, when I was watching the speech by the Australian of the Year, I feel like Grace they're different. Tame. I feel like the Australian of the Year, the Young Australian of the Year. Different I feel to like, the Orders. I feel like these are a different mm-hmm. award to the Orders. I really do um, yeah. because they're a much more publicly discussed award and therefore there's there's a lot more emphasis on who's who gets them, I think, I feel, yeah. anyway. It was, it was good to see four women get the big awards, though, for the Australian of the Year, for the Senior Australian of the Year, yep. for the Young Australian of the Year and also the Local Hero Award. Um, Grace Tame, sexual assault survivor, child sexual assault survivor, oh. and the first Tasmanian to win. She is behind the Let Her Speak campaign um, where you can find her story online. Oh. I won't go into it. It's, um, it's worth watching her speech. I was crying at the end of it. It's just so powerful. And, I mean, those moments where you just – you actually think about in that, you know, seven or eight minutes that she gave that speech, you got the whole story of why she did what she did, why it's so important and why she's an advocate for so many people who literally never had a voice. Mm. Um, and those are the people that should be held up because that just reverberates through the whole country of – empowering people who are at their most vulnerable um, and celebrating that, celebrating the people that give give that power to others yep. um, and to themselves. It's an amazing speech. It is an amazing speech. Do look at it if you haven't already. It's, yeah, she deserved all the acclaim. Something else that happened in the last few days? Cardi B became the highest-ranking female rapper in Hottest 100 history. You're kidding. Number six for WAP, your favourite song of the year. Should have been number one, to be honest. <laughs> and I couldn't believe this. Um, I don't think there's ever been a female rapper How in the How is that true? How 10? did we get through the 2000s without Missy Elliott at number one with Get Your Freak On? What is wrong A lot with of things are world? wrong. A lot of things are wrong. Uh, but <laughs> 2021... Things were righted with WAP coming in and she was also the highest ranking woman of colour in Hottest 100 history too. Oh, good. So good. So, so good. I'm so glad that WAP got in there high. I mean, that was absolutely one of the songs of 2020. Song of like the decade. (laughs) (laughs) The way that it confronted so many people and it was problematic for so many people in in the best possible way made so many people think about, you know, um, how previously music just – lionises blokes who talk about their sexual prowess and yet, you know, we really had to confront what it means to be a sexually active woman who enjoys herself in song. It was awesome. So good and clearly 
Millions of people agreed. That's right. So congratulations to Cardi B and Megan The Stallion. Oh, speaking of Megan The Stallion, um, mm. I didn't tell you we were going to talk about this, but um, you know how I said I wanted to learn the body song? Body, yaddy, 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 yaddy. She's now put out an actual, I'm not sure if it's her, there's an actual video where you can see it clearly. So if you want to get on board, I still haven't learned it yet, but I will. Do you reckon she's trying to trend on TikTok with that? Probably. Speaking of TikTok, you definitely saw a Are you hand talking f- about the biscuits? No. <laughs> what? Remember those delicious biscuits that came? They were clocks with the, the yellow icing and the pink icing. Oh, love them. Are they Vovos? No, TikToks. <laughs> or the OG TikTok, thanks very much. There was a lot of songs that were uh, big trending songs on TikTok mm. that popped into the Hottest 100 too. So that's something to watch, the changing face of music. Absolutely. And, yeah. and the way Video people, games, TikTok, video games, all that stuff. Yeah, and it makes sense. They're, that's how kids hear stuff these days. Kids these days. You just said it. I know. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm there. I am so there. You know what you need to make yourself Get more off relevant? My lawn. You need some fashion. <laughs> you got a fashion, fashion update for me? Fashion never ages and people into fashion, uh, the older you get, the better you get at it. So that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> So even though fashion has problems with, you know, representations of, of older folk like myself, but we can all have opinions you in figure fashion it out as regardless you go along. of age. You dress better as you get older, That's I agree. right. That's right. Well, in lockdown, what were you wearing predominantly? Sweatpants, uh, tra- tracksuits. Tracky we yeah. call them tracky dacks. Internationally, they are the sweatpant yep. or sweats for short. And it looks like fashion has run out of things to do with sweats because that's all anyone's buying. So you might as well make what people are buying given the rest of the world is essentially in lockdown again in the middle of winter on the other side of the world. Mm. So Zahara have come in (laughs) with their new interpretation on the sweat and this is, well, I think you need to have a look. Hilary Hughes on Instagram alerted me to this. Thank you, Hilary. I appreciate it. Um, Lockdown tracksuits obviously needed a new angle and this was it. It rivals that jacket that everyone over the age of about 70 has to wear that's like a puffer jacket but with no sleeves. Oh, yeah. You know, you, like, your arms can get cold, that's fine, as long yeah. as your torso's warm. You've got to keep the chest warm. Yeah, this is the opposite. This is the opposite. It is sweatshirt arm warmers. So all it is, it's like a necker, it, like a hole in the neck, you put it on and then you just put this extra sweat over the top, which is just arm um, warming. This is not a new idea though. I used to wear these like 10, what? 15 years ago. It's a bolero. It's basically a bolero. That's what a bolero is. I was looking a at bol- this going, no, a, a bolero, bolero is, is like a little a, tiny jacket that just goes over. A bolero is like a poncho. This no, no, no. Is, a bolero is, is like the tiny little thing, like literally what, um, what do you call them? The the bull matador people. Yeah, like it's right, a tiny actually, little it's jacket. It's a sweat bolero. It's a sweat bolero. <gasps> Come on over and to I'm fashion. And I'm here for it. Are you here for it? I yeah. think it's ridiculous. I love something <laughs> that only covers the arms. Why? Sometimes you just want that. It's like the jacket, like people wearing the jacket without putting their arms in the sleeves. Why? <laughs> <laughs> That's another fashion thing. It's just not – it's not okay. I'm buying it. I okay. saw this and I was like, thanks for the link, Miff. I'm yeah. definitely going to purchase this. What does this mean, this. though? We're just going to have pants that, like, have a – oh, well, I guess we do. They're called chaps. <laughs> have, a, have a gaping hole around the groinal region. We've already got those. Chap sweats. I think we've all seen what denim can do as well. Yeah. There haven't been any good denim moments in fashion yet, have there? Well, no one's wearing No one's them. wearing anything with zips. No, no one's wearing anything <laughs> really – that's not soft. <laughs> I love that. Hey, before we get into our bang on, can I just um, 
address last week's spew bowl conversation because it resonated. We asked Bang Fam to email us in the show notes, which you now know where to find. Yeah, I do. Um, our details, ba- just Bang on details. email address. You could look it up online though, just on your like on your what do you call it? Your landline of a computer. <laughs> <laughs> if you've got a, just your normal computer, you can look it up on the on the World Wide Web. Your landline of a computer. I call, I call home computers landlines now. Oh, my God. Don't you? No. That's what they are. You the can't PC. take them anywhere. <laughs> the PCs are the landline of 2020. The 2020s or probably the 2010s actually. So back to the spew bowl. Mm, sorry. Uh, Rosemary messaged in. She emailed and said, hi, Miffins and thought you'd like to know that the family vomit bowl lives on. I have three children and luckily they are now all old enough to get to the bathroom in time for a spew. Good news. But when they were young, this bowl was used aplenty and sure enough, it's the green bowl. She's attached a picture. Here is the funny bit, however. I have no idea where it came from and neither does my partner. My mother recognises it, however. Perhaps I will have to give it, gift it to one of my children when they leave home. Oh, the vomit bowl lives. It's the passing down of the vomit bowl. Did she send a picture? Yeah, it's the green bowl. Is it got the? Is that the one with the crust around it? Give us a look. Ah, oh, delete that bit with the crust around it. <laughs> um, can I? Can I have a look at that picture? Oh, it's got a. It's got a tinge to it too, doesn't it? Well, like that's why sort of, you only use it for the spew. Ugh, it's got it, but it's got like it's been used a lot. You know what this is? Because acid, acid eats into plastic. Nothing destroys plastic. It's like the cockroach of, of the the material world. Um, it can never die, but a spew can change its colour. <laughs> Science with myth. One more email that came through from Anna. Okay. In regards to the green spew bowl, I strongly recommend not assuming it's the spew bowl when staying at someone else's house. Oh. As a teenager, I stayed at a friend's (laughs) house after a party in a double bed with another friend. In the middle of the night, she sat up and told me she was going to spew. I ran to the kitchen in the dark, opened some drawers, grabbed a green spew bowl and handed it to her in the bed. Except... It was a colander. Ah! All I did was strain the chunks out of the spew, which ended up going all through the bed. My friend's uh, mum had to clean it uh, up. What a legend. Oh, I feel, I feel <laughs> actually sick. Uh. Thank you, Anna, for making my week with that email. The spew bowl lives on. Oh, my God. Okay, I just need to recover a bit. Yeah. Um, what are you banging on about? Um... It's been an emotional week for me. Uh, I, you know, I've had trouble watching things, but I'm back after Bridgerton, and then my <laughs> one of my, my one of my favourite television series of all time, which is a French production called My Agent. I've banged on about it every single yeah. series. The final series, as far as I can tell, because everything sort of winds up. No spoilers. Uh, is out on Netflix at the moment. It came out on the 21st. I binged it all in a day and then I felt really sad because it's over. I think it's over. I'm I'm not sure. How many episodes did you watch? uh, It was only six or something. But it's an incredible series. It's a French series which is about agents um, who look after famous French actors. But every French actor, every famous French actor you can ever dream of has appeared on the show. We've had... um, Gérard Depardieu? Yeah. Oh, actually, he might be the only one who hasn't. Maybe he has. Oh, that's where my mind goes straight away. Oh, of course. Last season, Beatrice Dahl, Betty Blue, Monica Bellucci, like huge, huge names. And this series, Charlotte Gainsbourg, 
is in the first episode. Uh, by the fifth episode, we have Sigourney Weaver. Oh, my God. I know. Amazing. Like, it's this good. And then the final episode is Jean Reno from The Professional and The Big Blue who winds up the series. And it's it's extraordinary. It's an extraordinary series. I love all of the characters for all their flaws. It's so French. It's, it's just it's wonderful and there's so much drama. Please watch it if you haven't watched it from series one. It's awesome. Unreal. I've never watched it. I'm going to get on board. So much fun. So much fun. Now, what are you banging on about? I'm, I'm banging on about a series as well, but a brand new series which just came out. It's on Stan. It's mm. called It's a Sin. Everyone's tweeting about it and posting about it. It looks pretty heavy. I'm Look, not sure I'm in the right place to watch it. but at, you, Did you like Queer as Folk? Yeah, loved it. Okay, so it's by the same guy who did Queer as Folk, Russell T Davies. Yep. And... It's got that same joy that Queer as Folk yeah. had. Um, it's set in London in the early 80s. It pretty much tracks the next decade as AIDS spreads, the epidemic spreads and is slowly understood because, as we know, for a long time people didn't understand what was happening and then realised it was affecting largely the gay community, but how was it transmitted? We all grew up in that environment. You and I did anyway. That um, horrible ad in Australia. The Grim Reaper. Yeah, which... You know, it, we now know fostered a whole lot of prejudice. Well, this is one of the things that's explored in this series and it follows the lives of these three young gay men who all moved to London from different parts of the UK. There's Richie, there's Roscoe and there's Colin um, and there's also Richie's best friend, Jill, who's really the MVP of this mm. series. She's so incredible. Um, and it shows them as they're kind of finding their feet, they're living in this share house they're finally free because none of them are out to their family or if they are, they've been basically kicked out of the family home. Um, being gay is not something that's widely accepted in their neighbourhoods. Um, but also one of the things that, you know, again, inadvertently it does is that it just has this real resonance because I'm watching this in the time of COVID. So all of those things about that fear and that uncertainty and the irrational responses to people when you don't know what's causing this disease, the infectiousness of it. The, the divisiveness of yeah. something like All this. All that, that irrationality that comes around um, not knowing mm. um, is, is there as well. But at the same time, unlike COVID where every single you know, resource in the world has been put to try and figure this out, to find a vaccine. It takes them so long Nothing to figure it out. Done. Nothing you know, was done as these well. These men and are ostracised and demonised, as you said. And an entire generation of men and a huge number of incredibly creative wonderful men died Yeah, and nothing was done. It's the plague and you've seen it before on – there was that brilliant Australian film which was based on the book Holding the Man, obviously Philadelphia – the reason I mentioned those two because when you said you were worried to watch mm. it, it doesn't have the same heaviness of that. Um, Not that I want to avoid it at all. I'm no, just, I think I think I'm just a bit, yeah. I think a bit that one, sensitive to, to to deeply emotional stuff. Yeah, no. One one of the things that's beautiful about it, and I mentioned, you know, again, if you liked Queer as Folk, then you should watch this, mm. is because Davies really he walks that tightrope of capturing the joy and abandon of these three young gay guys in their early 20s uh, who found their family, who oh. found their tribe in London um, and their community and then parallel to that, this awful plague which is directly mirrored to that independence, that joy, that sexual freedom and that the pleasure that they have is killing them. Like I can't even imagine that. Mm. 
um, and not understanding it, but it's done in such a beautiful way. It's five episodes. They're all about 45 minutes each. Highly recommend it. You will cry, but it's just beautifully done, beautifully acted. It's a sin. I loved it. It's so, so good. I watched it all last night and this morning. I was crying over my muesli this morning. (laughs) You look good for it, though. Oh, good, thanks. No puff. (laughs) Puff Puff-free Thursdays. Great. So if you ever want to email us about spew bowls or anything else. Or maybe something else now. Love hearing your (laughs) recommendations, any feedback. We love reading your reviews as well. And, like, you know, when you write a review or just press, like, a rating on Apple Podcasts or anything else, that actually helps the algorithm. That helps push our podcast up. And we want more Bang Fam. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. We love our community um, and we love sharing these stories with you. So tell a friend, write a review and – Send us a stupid email because it makes me laugh. I love a stupid email. Please do. (laughs) That was brilliant this week. Thank you for sharing that, Zan. See you next week. (laughs) Bye. Bang. 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 Bang on.